says, in the beginning, the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Father, I'm thankful for the powerful, powerful portion of Scripture we just read. God, as we look at it this morning and as we see the divine life of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would help us to see the divinity of Christ. God, I'm thankful this morning that Jesus Christ is alive and well. He's not in a grave. The grave could not hold him. Even though he came to uh, 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 to be born to die, he truly did die but he lives again and god i pray that you would help us to see the life of christ this morning the deity of christ this morning thank you for it teach us i pray guide us i pray that you would help us to see the light in jesus in jesus precious and powerful and perfect name amen you may be seated this morning the book of John is what we call one of the Gospels. There's four Gospels we see in the New Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When you look at the book of John, it is different than the other three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The first of those three, uh, the first three of those four Gospels are what we would call the Synoptic Gospels. What does that mean? It speaks of, very carefully, the life of Christ. In fact, almost every one of the life uh, of the miracles and the events and the ministry of Christ is covered exactly, is nearly the same. They're all covered, the feeding of the 5,000 and so on and so forth. You look at the miracles and the life of Christ, and they're almost identical as far as the scripture and the context of those first three books. But they're from different viewpoints. It's kind of like if you were to go to a four-way junction and you were to see a traffic accident and there would be three witnesses, one on one corner, one on the other, and one on the other. They would all give a telling of that accident or what happened there between those vehicles, but they would give the different perspectives. They would give the same event, but what they saw on that corner of the junction in which they were standing on, such is the case with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, excuse me. They all give the same events, uh, very similar events. However, they give a viewpoint from that corner, so to speak, of their witness. But John is different. John is unique. It records from a different aspect in mind. The book of John contains just a few special miracles that Jesus performed. John uses to pen the word of God, to pen this gospel, very simple language. He uses about 600 different words in the gospel of John. That is on the average vocabulary level of about a seven-year-old. It is... Uh, uh, it has been studied that we learn about 100 different words a year. 
And so it would be on the reading level or on the understanding of about a seven-year-old child. It's taught very simply. It's taught very succinctly. It is powerfully the, powerful in that it gives proof in a very definitive tone, a perfect and uh, complete understanding that Jesus is God. Luke, the previous gospel, shows us that Jesus is the Son of Man. John gives clear evidence that Jesus is the Son of God. The book of John was written by one of the disciples, John himself. He was one of the sons of Zebedee. As a son of Zebedee, he was called a son of thunder. This truly speaks into the type of relationship that he had with his brother, James. It was a thunderous relationship. In other words, there was some speaking, there was some buying, there was some uh, uh, vocabulary expressed to indicate their zeal for uh, life and their zeal to buy for that number one status. They came from a home that was financially sound. His father not only owned a fishing business, but he employed servants, which would have spoken to that they were a financial means. And as we look at the life of John, it is very possible that John could have been as young as an early teenager following the life of Christ. We don't know how old exactly he was, but we do know that he was, he was young. He was teenage or young adult as he was following Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. And that thunderous personality that he vied for in his family bled through in ministry. In Luke chapter 9, if you were to read it this afternoon, you were to find that James, James and John, after uh, they followed Jesus Christ to a village of Samaria on their way to Jerusalem, but they were denied passage, denied access to go through that village, that James and John looks at Jesus Christ and says, Jesus, why don't you call down fire from heaven and destroy this entire village? That's their thunderous and that vying of, bless God, they're not following you. Just wipe them off the face of the planet, Jesus. Just get rid of them. That was their type of personality. That was what John vied for as a son of thunder. John, though, as he received Christ as Savior, his life began to change. God would use him as a pastor of Ephesus eventually, he lived a long life, and indeed, he was even exiled on, a, uh, on an island called Patmos. And on that island, he would die. And either on that island of Patmos, or it could have been Ephesus, we don't know for certain, but one of those two places is when God would have used him to pen the Gospel of John. John had seen some generations now going through the gospel and growing up in scripture. As an older pastor and as looking over a life of ministry and seeing people follow Christ and seeing some trends, he penned this gospel to the church, to Christians, to children of God. 
it is written to us. It is written to establish and strengthen our hope and trust in Jesus Christ as God. It is an incredible book, powerful gospel. And upon this pretext, upon this context, may we explore the divine life of Christ. In this very first verse, as John opens it up, he opens it up in thunderous tone, just as his character signifies. He gives very powerful this thought, Jesus is eternal. Look at verse number one, that first phrase. In the beginning was the word. We look at this and we think, okay, we understand in the beginning was the word. And we'll see in just uh, verse number 14 that the word was made flesh and dwelt among men. Jesus Christ, the word of God came and he was flesh and he dwelt among us. What a powerful thing that is. Thank God he came to save. But I want to explore just a little bit. Dive in just for a moment here. Some culture and context here for just a moment in this phrase. Because it is so rich and powerful. This word, word, in the beginning was the word, is the Greek word logos. This word would resonate among the Greek culture as a thunderous and a profound statement. Because this word logos was not just speaking of a word as in a just a sentence or a vocabulary, so to speak, but it spoke more into the sum of a reasoning or logic. In other words, when John said in the beginning was the word, he said Jesus Christ is the sum of all logic, of all reasoning. He's the answer to every question you may have. And as the Greek culture was exploring and looking and trying to find so many answers, they would turn to things like we would find today as mythology. They would turn to different idols, to different groups. They would look and explore. They wanted the answers to all life. And John, in his opening statement, says, you're looking for the answer, the answer, the sum of all reasoning, the sum of all logic. Every answer that you could find is found in the Word. Jesus Christ. What a powerful statement right there. As John begins to pen and to show us the deity of Christ, he says, you want the answer? You have to look no further than the word of God, than Jesus Christ himself, because he is the answer in whom you're looking. John clearly, profoundly gives us the word. But I want you to notice the verbiage here. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Have you looked at that verb there, was? I don't know about you, but as I read this, if I only look at it from the English perspective, I would have a little difficulty explaining this. Because it says was. Was means used to be, but is not. Example. This cup was full, now it's not. It means something has changed. The status has changed in it. But if we look at the verbiage and the understand what James spoke of in his Greek language in which he penned 
through the inspiration of God. He uses some terminology, he uses some tense that is very, very important and so powerful. For as we look at this verbiage, when he says was, it is given to us in an imperfect tense. Let me explain to you what imperfect tense means. It speaks of not something that used to be or that has been completed. In other words, he's not saying the cup was full, but watch this, but rather a continuous state. It was and stopped, but rather was and is and is and is and is and continues to be. It is speaking of something that did not stop as being the full sum of all things that we're looking for, but rather a continuous state that he was and continues to be all things that we are looking for. In other words, when John was penned or was given this inspiration of Scripture as an older man, either in Ephesus on the Isle of Patmos, as he expressed the vocabulary that he was what you're looking for and he continues to be. It's a continuous process. In other words, Jesus Christ was the answer when Abraham was on the earth. Jesus Christ was the answer as we followed him in earthly ministry. Jesus Christ was the answer as he ascended into heaven. Jesus Christ was the answer as I'm penning these very words. Jesus Christ will continue to be the answer from generation to generation to generation. He's the sum of all logic. He's the sum of all reasoning. He is the answer to every question you may have. Whatever you your heart desires go to the one who continually is the answer for all questions and his name is jesus christ jesus is eternal this speaks to his eternality how can someone be the continual answer unless they are eternal in everything in which they are Jesus Christ is eternal and only God himself could be that answer, the source of all wisdom and all logic and oh how powerful this is because as we think about the eternality of God and all that he is and the sum of all reasoning, that means when I don't understand something, I can go to Jesus Christ because he is the source of how to understand the circumstances. He is the source of how I can understand what is happening. I can, he is the one who I'm who I can run to and I can understand all that he is. I can grow in him because he is the source of all that I am looking for. He is the one that is eternal in all things. James opens up this powerful book by demonstrating the powerful eternality of all our answers. He is eternal God. And as he continues in verse number one and verse number two, he demonstrates not only the eternality of Jesus Christ, but he explains the deity or that Jesus is God. Let's continue reading in verse number one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Notice that the Bible says with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. What is it speaking of? It's just speaking of the Godship or the Godhead that Jesus Christ is part of. 
There are some that wrongly explain today that Jesus was simply a good prophet or a good teacher, but he was not God. John, in his very opening sentence, says, no, he is God, because he was with God. And he, as was with God, was same as God. In other words, Jesus Christ is God. He is part of the of the Trinity or the triune God in whom we love and serve one God but three parts. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse number 4 explains it this way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. And the word God there is a plural verb, plural and yet singular at the same time, is one Lord. John clearly states and clearly gives us that there is a deity with Christ, that he was with God and he is God. Sometimes we look at that and our minds trying to battle the arithmetic or how this works. Sometimes as we look at God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we begin adding up and saying, well, one plus one plus one is three is that three gods but that's not how god works god is not in addition to each one but he is one times one multiplied by one and those three ones together equal one you see god is not an addition he's a multiplication god yea, is a triune god he is one times one times one if we could put it in arithmetic equaling that one Godhead. He has truly given us illustrations of this very thing of three parts in yet one God. We see a God in a triune... God has created a triune universe. We see space, matter, and time make up all that we see around us. Speaking of one thing, a universe, and yet there are three main parts speaking into that. We see space itself is made up of three parts. Space has length, it has breadth, and it has height. Those three things equal space. Speaks of one thing, but yet a triune being or a triune space. Matter itself that makes up our universe is likewise a triune thing. It is equal to energy motion and a phenomena and those things put together equal that in which makes up our universe of matter time is three things a past a present and a future and yet those triune things make up one thing time time itself over and over and over again we can see in our being in our makeup that there are so many three-in-one examples that God gives us to help us to try to understand or grasp the concept that God is one God and three parts. Jesus is part of the Godhead. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and He is God. 
God the Holy Spirit is just as much God as God uh, as God the Father, and God the Fun, uh, God the Father is just as much uh, uh, God as God the Son. You look at any combination that you want to put there, and they are all equal. They are all God. He is one God, and yet three parts. Thank God for the deity of Christ. For if He was not God, we would be in trouble this morning. Jesus Christ is God. And James so powerfully gives us this beautiful example that he was not only God, but he was with God. Speaking of that deity or that trinity of Christ. Thirdly this morning, and we'll end here, Jesus is testified as power. Look at verse number three with me, if you would, this morning. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. We'll stop there for just a moment. Notice John says all things were made by him. That word all things there is, comes from the Greek word panta, which means all things individually or everything separately. In seven days... Jesus made everything. What a powerful thing that is. We look at space itself and the distance in which things span. You look at it from an astronomer's viewpoint and we look and try to measure all that has happened and all that is. It is incredible to think of the span of the universe in which we look at. Light travels at 186,273 miles per second. That is fast. That's incredible speed. That is equivalent to going around the Earth's equator. Around the Earth's equator. You can't end the Earth's equator. You start one point, you find yourself at the same point if you keep walking. It's not flat. But that's equivalent to going around the earth seven and one-half times in one second. That's quick. That equals to about six trillion miles an hour. That is phenomenal. Our sun is about eight light minutes away. That's how fast light travels. If something were to happen on the sun eight minutes ago, we would not know, know about it until now if it happened eight minutes ago. That's how fast light travels. And yet that's how close our star is. And yet astronomers look and estimate some stars to be billions of light years away. That is very, very far incredible span of our universe in which we see and are a part of. We look at our sun and there are hundreds of thousands of earths that can fit into our sun. But our sun is not the largest star in this universe. In fact, it is dwarfed by many stars. There is one star called Antares, 
that is estimated it can hold 64 million of our own sons. That's a big star. But that star is dwarfed by another star in the constellation Hercules that can hold 100 million stars the size of Antares. That's a huge, huge star. It's phenomenal how big and how incredible these stars and these and and our universe is. And God has made every single one of those things in seven days. Every single thing was done in seven 24 hours. Scientists look not only to the stars and the breadth of the universe, but it looks at these small things, those atoms and molecules that make up all that we see. So many things go into a single drop of water. Scientists estimate that if you were to take one drop of water and to take all those molecules in that one drop of water and change them to grains of sand, you would have enough sand to build a concrete highway that would go from London, England, all the way to Kuwait, half a mile wide, 30 centimeters deep, the entire way. One drop of water, all those molecules, and Jesus has made every single one of those things. All that we see in seven 24-hour periods of time, God made every single one. He was involved in every molecule and every drop of water. He was made in every molecule on the sun's uh, 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 sun itself, on those beautiful stars of Antares and the constellation Hercules and all that we see. He was involved in every single bit of it. He designed every single thing that we see. How powerful that is. But may I demonstrate the power of Christ is even greater in which we've stated already. For you see, I said seven 24 hours, and that's true. But actually on that seventh day, he rested. So as incredible as it seems that all this was made by God himself in seven days, he took one of those days and said, I don't need to do anything because I've done everything in six days. He worked on six days and has made everything. How incredibly powerful is our God? Only God himself could do that. Only God could make all things in six days. And he did individually. He made every single thing in that incredible amount of time. We have a powerful God, a God who is beyond limits, a God who is greater than any box or any kind of framework we could try to confine him in. He is God. He is is big. There's nothing too hard for our great God. Then, as he gives evidence of how powerful our God is through creation, all things were made by him and without him was not anything made. James comes back and begins to breathe into the power of not only him being able to make everything, but to give life to all things. In him was life 
And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness. And darkness comprehendeth it not. Jesus' power is so incredible not to make, not to just simply make everything, but to give life to everything. He could do what no one else has ever able to do, and that is to bring life into that in which did not have life before. Jesus Christ made life. He truly uh, uh, switched on that light switch, if we could put it that way. He flipped. Uh, he, uh, he switched on the light of life, and as he did so, things came to life. Trees began to live. The bees began to buzz. The birds began to sing. The fish began to swim. Man began to breathe. Thank God that God is at life-giving God. His power is so great. He gives life to all that we see. He has power to lay down his life, and he had power to take up his life. There is nothing too hard for our God. Why? Because he is power and that power is the light and the life of man what an incredible thing that is this year or about a year ago we decided to do some rearranging into our garage to put an elliptical out there or a crossfit trainer and as we did we knew we had to we had to clean out the garage now, when you go out into a garage, there are some scary things that can happen out there, especially since it's not occupied all the time. And as you begin to pull out boxes and begin to pull out things, you find a lot of different things that you didn't know were there. You haven't touched anything, you haven't moved anything, and yet the dirt and the filth that's behind those things. You see some things that are alive and let you know that they're alive through a scampering or a crawling across your hand all of a sudden and uh, you are suddenly startled and there's one thing that I completely despise and that is spiders there is one kind of good spider a dead spider there is no other good kind everyone needs to die uh, as far as a spider is concerned they must perish uh, so uh, with great great malice um, and the more my boys can kill the spiders or if they're not around the more my wife can kill the spiders the better that is um i'll stay on the other side of the room uh but i don't like them but they find their way even among spot pots or spots that you would never envision they could get to or would even want to be why would you want to be in the middle of a pile of boxes how could bugs accumulate so quickly amongst some groups of boxes back there of all the places you'd want to be there's nothing back there besides dust and yet they find their way back there and then when you expose the light and when you bring that light out what does it do it shows you what's dirty it shows you what's back there it shows you what filth and what has accumulated those dark crevices you know jesus christ is the light and when his light shines into our life, and when we, when he pulls back those things in which we've grown accustomed to keeping in our life, it exposes some things. It exposes some things in which we thought, that's not really clean, is it? That's really not what God desires. God doesn't desire that in my life. 
And that light helps us to see what needs to be cleaned in our life. He exposes areas in our heart and life that do not bring glory and honor to Him. That expose areas of sin, of wrong, of evil and wickedness in our heart. And He helps us with His light to be able to see how to clean those areas of our life that have been covered in darkness. And when that area has been cleaned, it's amazing at what you can do with light. This is my favorite time of the year as far as decorating and just the all the things in which we do on a season the trees that we decorate, the homes that we decorate, the lights that we put out. I'm thankful that we have the opportunity to beautifully decorate with lights and such. And we have a candlelight service and just the beauty of just celebrating what light can do. You know, it's incredible at what light can transform something into. When I was a boy, my dad taught me how to put Christmas lights on our Christmas tree. He was one that every branch needed a light. But that light couldn't be just simply draped on the limb. It had to be actually uh, attached to it. And he had a system of where he would separate the wire, the old lights before all the LEDs and such. And he would wrap that wire around and then he would stick the light through and it would just kind of hold itself onto that Christmas tree light or, or branch. Our Christmas tree did not have just one or 200 lights on it. It had thousands of lights on it. When it switched on, you could see the power meter just begin to spin. You know, it was, it was a lot of lights on that tree. When, I, when my wife and I were first married, our very first Christmas together, that was how I grew up, and that's how, bless God, we're going to do our Christmas tree. And so that first year, that's exactly what we did. We bought a real tree, and I painstakingly, hour after hour after hour, reached through and put on light after light after light. Our tree had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lights. Every limb, every branch had a light. But when you have that many lights on a real tree, there's something that happens if you don't water it. And those pine needles begin to become surgical needles. It was beautiful. I mean, you definitely could see that Christmas tree when it was lit. It would light up a room completely. It would transform that dark Christmas tree into a beauty to behold. But when it came time to take those lights off, it began to be so painful because of the dryness of those pine needles that eventually we had to stop and say, bless God, those lights are not worth the pain that's required. And so we had to buy more lights the next Christmas, the ne the next Christmas because those went to the curb along with the rest of the uh, Christmas tree. I couldn't take it any longer. But the beauty in which a light brings and what it can do to transform something that is dark into some a spectacle to behold is incredible there's something about decorating with light that draws out 
a beauty that was not there before. You know, that's what God does with his light. He not only exposes what needs to be cleaned, but with his light, he transforms a life into a beauty that only he can. His light transforms our life into the beauty of the glory of God. How incredible that is. That God would use his power to not only to expose the, the dirtiness in our life, but to bring beauty to us who are broken. To us who have been damaged by sin. He decorates our life with his light. What a God we have. He is the light and the life of man. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 4, but the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. The Bible teaches us that God shows his light and changes us by his light. Only God can do that. Only Jesus can do this. He is that divine light. The divine life of Christ transforms us. May we this Christmas season not, for, not forget that he's all that we're looking for. He is that answer. Just like he was yesterday, he is today. Can we remember this, this Christmas season that he is God? Don't let others say he was just simply a prophet or a good messenger or a good teacher. No, he's God. Why? Because he is the power. He is all-sufficient. He made everything. He cleans me up by his light. And he decorates my life with his glory. What an incredible God we have. He is deity. He is Jesus.